and welcome back to the Global Lab podcast. Uh, this episode, uh, we are at the British Science Association Science Communication Conference 2014. And with me today is uh, Damien George, who has been uh, talking about data visualisation in physics. Um, Damien, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, yeah, hi, uh, I'm Damien George. I'm a theoretical physicist at the University of Cambridge. Um, and I work on uh, theoretical physics related to the Higgs boson and the, the discovery uh, recently at CERN, um, and also un- early universe physics um, related to the Big Bang. And so how did you get involved in, in data visualisation? So in my work there is a lot of data uh, from experiments, uh, quite obviously, um, and so p- one of the things that I presented today w- was, was to do with an experiment, um, uh, but also in our field there are a lot of uh, papers, uh, scientific research papers, and they themselves f- form a data set um, consisting of the papers uh, and their relationships to each other in the references. So these, these are the, the, the two um, things related to data visualisation that I've gotten into as part of my work. Well, let's start with those papers because you said in your talk today that if you're a new particle uh, theoretical mathematical physicist. Yeah, a PhD student, for example. Right, there's up to up, upwards of about 900,000 papers that you might reasonably well, be required to work out whether you wanted to read, at least. Yes, that's right. Uh, there's 900, well, there's almost a million papers in our database, but um, they're not all related to, to theoretical physics. Um, within theoretical physics, so if you're a theoretical physics PhD student, there's perhaps 100, 200, 300,000 papers, but even that is, 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 you can't go through all of those, of course. Yeah. So the aim of this, this uh, data visualisation um, in this map is for the students to, first of all, see um, the structure, how the, the, um, the field is structured, what mm-hmm. the subfields are and the subtopics, um, how they're connected to each other, so where they are in, 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 um, in the map related to each other, where the positionings are, Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, and the other thing is, you can e- quite easily see the very important papers because they're um, they're larger in the map because they have more citations. Uh, so, the visualization allows you to f- quickly find the things that perhaps would be interesting for you to read. So, just to recap, you've got a map you've created of all of these papers. The, the bigger blobs in this map are more cited papers, and it's laid out because it's not geographical. Right? It's not where they were pu- published. It's it's organised by... Yeah, that's correct. So the size of the paper is the number of citations. Yeah. But the location in the map um, is re- um, generated automatically depending on sort of what the topic of the paper is. It puts everything together that references uh, within that subcategory or subgroup. So, so there's a, it's stru- not a structure of, of knowledge, in a sense, from this, from this visualisation. Yeah, yeah exactly. we hope, and that, that's what actually does happen, is that with this algorithm, where um, papers that reference each other are put next to each other, uh, you actually start to see structure in the, in the map. And that's not put in by hand, that just comes out um, um, organically from the way the algorithm works. 
So it sort of looks like, um, and we should mention, of course, the visualization is called Paperscape, and it's at paperscape.org, isn't That's it? That's right, yes. Um, if, you, if you look at that, I mean, you can open this up now in your browsers, I guess, if you're, if you're next to your computer. Um, it looks kind of like the universe, right? It looks like a sort of series of stars and nebulae, and, and, and these are just, but these are actually areas of... The areas of physics, yes, yeah. and research. I mean, the, of course, there was some small artistic license in the way we did the color scheme, but uh, we haven't in any way put them... Um, put the papers in a position to make it look like a galaxy, but uh, it just ended up looking that way with a black background and yeah. uh, with the papers coloured in certain ways and some brighter than others. It does look a bit like a star field. Um, mm. And actually, well, there's a bit more truth to it than that because the algorithm that we use to 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 lay the papers out um, was actually borrowed from um, the astronomers and the way the way that they simulate galaxy formation. So it actually oh, right. uses similar code. So it's almost like a gravitational model of the... Yeah, of the it's, a, it's actually an anti-gravity model because you want to push them away from each other to make the graph um, uh, spread out. And then when they have a reference from paper A to paper B, then paper A and B are, are attracted to each other. So it, it actually does uh, have something in common with galaxy formation. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. So that's, I mean, that's a really interesting tool then for for a, a young physicist to start to, to, to explore their field and perhaps potentially maybe even just an outsider to someone who isn't a physicist to start to see the complexity of the, the work. I, I'm guessing that because there's these academic papers, you can't, you can't you know, unless you're a specialist, you can't necessarily understand the content. Yes, that's right. I mean, each, each um, paper in this map you can access the PDF for and read the entire thing. And yes, oh, they wow. are very so you can technical. just click through from the visualization, and you can get the PDF. Yes, that's right. So you, anyone from the public can go and, and, and read all of this physics research. Um, yes, it is it is uh, very technical, but it's all there. Um, and yeah, a, P, a new PhD student, for example, would spend quite a bit of time reading the paper um, before they understand, and, and then eventually, mm. over the years, get get to grips with the field. Um, but then, for the sort of for the working physicist, um, it's useful for them as well. If, if you know you want to branch out into another field and you want to read right. the new papers in that field, for example, you're interested in something. Mm. You know, you you're working on extra dimensions, but then you're interested in neutrinos and you want to read the latest and most uh, important papers on neutrinos. So you just go to the neutrino area and you find the big papers and you read them. So it, it's useful for for new and old scientists and also for the public to see what kind of research is actually being done. So, yeah, yeah. so I mean, this is, you say it's nearly a million papers, presumably you didn't build this up by hand. Uh, how, did you, how did you get all this data? Uh, so all the data has been downloaded from uh, the archive website, which is the repository for all of um, the physics papers and also other areas, mathematics and computer science okay. and biology. But so how does that work? Then? Physics just, is bigger. Just when they write a paper, people put it up on the archive? Um, yes, so as soon as uh, uh, we finish doing some research, we write a paper, and then <laughs> when the paper's written, the next day we put it on the archive, and then the whole world can, can read it. Um, wow. So th- that's sort of, it's the output. Papers are the output of a, of a, of a physicist, a professional physicist, yeah. and um, the archive is where they're stored. So the data is actually very easily accessible. We're very lucky that we have an open access source of data um, that we can use in other fields. Um, there are some some fields have some open access papers, but there is a there's still quite a lot behind closed doors, as it were. Presumably, you need to have access to the whole field, otherwise you're getting an incomplete picture of 
what's going on and you can't access maybe the most important paper if they're if they're a private, if they're, if they're paid in a paid-for journal and there isn't this resource. That's right, yes. But in, uh, yeah, so in theoretical physics, it's, it's good because on the archive is pretty much 90, 99%, I would say, of the papers go to the archive. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely all of the important ones do. Um, so even if they've been published in a, a journal, for example, like Nature, that doesn't like the paper to then go on to another place... Um, they still can be put on the archive under some circumstances. So okay. the archive contains for us, for our field, pretty much all of the um, the papers that we will ever need. Okay. So the other example you talked about was um, something which was more specific to your subject. It was visualising the the cosmic microwave background, is that? Is That's that right, right, yes. And and can you just... Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I did my physics degree, so can you... Can you just bring me up to date on what the cosmic microwave background is. So, um, well, we think that the universe started in a Big Bang uh, and then it inflated. Oh, I definitely remember that bit. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still a theory, but it's, okay. it's, there's a lot of data that points to it being, being a true theory. Yeah. So after the Big Bang, the universe inflated very rapidly and then it slowed down a bit. Um, and since then, has been continue, continuing to expand. Um, and about 300,000 years after the Big Bang... Um, the universe became transparent to light and light could travel freely mm. uh, and this light uh, we can capture with satellites um, and has been captured um, and it's a picture of the universe sort of as it was born, being born um, you know, so this, this picture the cosmic microwave background so it's, cosmic means it's um, of cosmic origin from very, very, very far away. From space. From space, yes. Yeah. And microwave, it's just because the light has microwave frequency. That's the wavelength of the light that's coming, that we can so that's see. So vi- it's not visible to the No, naked no, eye. It's, it's, it's microwave frequencies. Light, yeah, so using light. some sort of telescope that detects The telescope that. can detect the, yeah, the, okay. the, 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 these frequencies. Um, and then, so cosmic microwave background, it's a background because it's, it's sort of, it permeates all of space and it's, it's, it's always there wherever you are. So just, I always have trouble getting my head around this. So the background, because it's the oldest light you can see, yes. it's kind of the furthest away, is that right? Um, and then the stars are kind of in front of it, does that make that's sense? R- that's right, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, that's right. But that sort of warps my mind, because we're in the middle of this thing, but then we're all flying away from each other. And, and are, yeah, it's, it, it can be confusing. I, never did, I didn't do astrophysics, I should you point out of, to the listeners. <laughs> you can think of a balloon blow, being blown up, and then the surface of the balloon is sort of... Well, the surf, this 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 cosmic micro background yeah. um, is getting it's getting bigger and bigger, but light from that surface of the balloon is coming in towards Earth. Mm. So we're not at the center of the universe, but um, it, the the way this data is taken, it, it uh, we take it from all directions around us. So when we mm. plot this picture, it looks. I mean, it, it's relative to Earth being at the center, um, but Earth is not the center of the universe. But anyway, so you can just think of you it as a balloon first. blowing Earth up. is not the centre of the universe. <laughs> you can think of the, the, the cosmic ray background as a balloon that, that is blowing up bigger and bigger, but the light keeps coming from it and, and, oh, okay. and hitting us. And then that, that's, it's taken 13 billion years for the light to reach us. 13 um, billion years. So, it was sort so that's of the a, exciting thing about it. it it's, it's the light was emitted 300,000 years after the universe was born. So oh, it, it's about 13.4 billion years old, this light. Oh, um, wow, I've, okay. I was rounding to 13 billion. But, okay, um, well, well. It's, so yeah, the light is, is very... I mean, it was the first light, the first light that could travel freely um, and that, that we are seeing. So it really is a so true picture that, of the that, that, early universe. And nevertheless, um, this is short, this is really short cosmic time. Yeah, it? yeah. 300,000 years. 300, is, is, is like actually extremely, extremely short. Okay. So it's um, one of the, 
one of the best pictures we'll ever have of the early universe. And if you look at it um, at thecmb.org, um, you, you can see the little speckles, and those speckles grew up um, over 13.4 billion years to become the galaxies that you can now see um, when you look up in the sky at night. Boy, so look, I mean, again, this is back, going back to my physics. So those little ripples, they're just variations in how much dust there is. Variations in the energy density. Energy density. Yeah, well, no, they're variations in the temperature of the light. So oh, okay. there's yeah. more or less light depending on what the ripples, colour they are. Yeah. But higher or lower temperature light corresponds to um, more or less um, energy density, which then expanded to turn into a galaxy. Wow. So the brighter the light, sort of the more energy there was there. And therefore, that was where a galaxy was going to form. Amazing. So, well, I, I mean, I, I'd encourage our listeners, uh, given this is a podcast, to go and check out these websites, uh, thecmb.org uh, right. and paperscape.org. That's right. Um, uh, I'd like to thank our, our guest, uh, Damien George, for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. The Global Lab is produced by CASA, the Centre for Advanced Spatial Analysis in the Bartlett's. UCL's Faculty of the Built Environment, with additional support from the UCL Public Engagement Team. You can find us on Twitter, at The Global Lab, or at CASA UCL, and if you search for The Global Lab on iTunes or SoundCloud, you can hear all of the latest episodes, along with the old ones.